I want to close this year with a, uh, a special kind of message that is going to be given in broad strokes, I suppose. Am I there? There it is. And I want to take the text from Luke 21, 28. When you see these things, let's look at that passage. When the beginning of these things. Now, let me set this up. This is the Olivet Discourse. It's Luke's version of it. It is Christ's answer to the disciples' question, when will these things be? Christ was referencing the end of the age. He gave a list of things that people should expect at the, at the end of this age. You have to take Luke 21 along with uh, Mark uh, what 13 and, and Matthew 24. Uh, to get the complete list of all that Christ says. But Luke tells us that he says then, in summary, when the beginning of these things happens, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Redemption, a word that means to be released from enslavement. Your release from enslavement draws near, inclusive of the purchase price that Christ has paid in his own body. So if someone looks at the Olivet Discourse and takes all of those things from those three, John does not reference the Olivet Discourse, but the Synoptic Gospels do, and you put that whole list together, then at the end of it, Christ says, when these things begin to happen, now, the greater fulfillment and the force of these things come during the tribulation. But Christ happens to put this statement at the end of his discourse when they begin to happen. Now, if you take the context uh, or the text of the verse itself, Christ says, when these things converge, and inclusively begin to happen at the same time. Then you can look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Across the years of my ministry, I have preached on occasion a sermon that I called the gathering of the nations. It was generally in conjunction with some event that impacted the world and an event that was an event in time that was part of a whole that was part of the greater whole, namely all of these things that Christ mentioned in the Olivet Discourse. Addendum to the discourse of Christ on the Mount of Olives, we take from 1st and 2nd Timothy, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, and the revelation 
Now, when we take these things, really, even, even without referencing Old Testament prophecies, just New Testament, we get a, we get a, a broad picture of how the world will be, which sets up the coming of Christ. When I preached those sermons, Gathering of the Nations, I always referenced whatever particular thing was to be referenced at that point in time, whatever was happening. But I always had to close the message something like this. Now there are other things that we should look for and perhaps will come shortly. The caveat was that this was one thing that was an important thing but it was one thing that added to a bunch of other things, all of which had to come together and converge for us to look for the coming of the Lord. Now, the imminency of the rapture, you know, the rapture can happen at any time, but the tribulation uh, is, is rather detailed in the scriptures. And a lot of thoughtful study and reference to the original uh, language of the time of the tribulation gives to us a fairly well-focused picture. Now, it's not the sharpest focus in the world because some of those things won't be able to be understood until those who are actually in the tribulation and they'll be able to understand. But for those of us who can stand back today and look at the, uh, at the uh, scriptures regarding the tribulation, we can see pretty well What's going to happen? Now we take that along with what Paul writes in his letters to Timothy and his letters to the Thessalonians. In the Olivet Discourse, we can see things that when they happen all together and are converging at a particular point in time, we can say, you know what? The coming of the Lord can't be far away because these things have never happened like this all at the same time. And I talk about things that have a global impact. So I think as we close out this year, and if you're like me, you'll be glad to see the year go. However, if we are slipping into judgment as a nation and if God is preparing the world for the nations to enter into the tribulation, <laughs> then before the Lord calls us up and calls us out, brings us up to himself, we may see more severe suffering in the world as we near the rapture of the church. I don't want to be a bearer of, of bad tidings or anything else. However, we are told that the world gets worse before it gets better. And it won't start getting better until Christ himself comes again and is enthroned as the King of Kings in Jerusalem, son of David. And he will bring peace, prosperity. Now, with all of that said, 
What kind of world are we living in? When you see these things, when the beginning of these things happens, you see them and they're converging. The things previous to this verse and you have to add the other things from the other two gospels. Then you can rest assured your redemption is not far away. The world in my studies of history, the world has never been globally impacted. And all of the peoples of the earth under the same circumstances that have negative results for us. World's never been this way like it is and like it has happened in this past year. Now there have been pandemics and there have been people on a horrible scale to die of influenza and bubonic plague. But it was at a time when, for example, the, the, the economies weren't connected. And the way to communicate with the world from specific world leaders uh, wasn't in place. And the world was just different in those days. But today the world is connected. And, uh, nations are connected. The world global economies are connected. Nobody can deny this. And if a new and worse strain of coronavirus starts in one part of the world, it isn't too many days until it reaches other parts of the world simply because of the way we travel and get around. And that travel is necessary for world economy and, and uh, for, for the works of ambassadors and, and, and diplomacy and so forth. So we live in a world where things are happening globally. I want us to reference in generalities. I want us to think about what the Bible says are, are signs of the end of the age. And included in it will be a couple of Old Testament prophecies as well. And then just, just sort of size up where we are as a as a world population. So let's think about it. When you see these things, number one, the assembled system of Antichrist, not the implementation of it, but the assembled system of it. Let's think about it. Number one, globalism. It wouldn't take much for a few leaders in the biggest economies of the world to come together and whatever they do affect the whole world economically. It's already that way. If the United States of America made a couple of moves, if uh, the dollar was devalued, for example, or if we decided to withdraw from being the standard currency of exchange, especially with regard to oil, there's no telling how negative the impact would be on other world economies, but it would be very negative. Could plunge the world into a depression unlike the world has ever known. The connections of these exchanges and monetary systems are very, very fragile. 
and hundreds and hundreds of so-called experts, economic experts, on a daily basis are working together to maintain a strength in the world economy. Perhaps you've read about what is called the Great Reset, which is, and I'm not going to try to explain it here, it's a, it's, it's a scary thing for Christians, um, and it's rather detailed, but it, the Great Reset is something that the World Economic Forum has come up with. And when one reads the agenda of the World Economic Forum, you can see how easily the world would be impacted by this group of people. That's part of the system of Antichrist, a world economy that can really fit into the hands of one world leader. Number two, the mark of the beast. Just this year, it's my understanding that certain places in the world will not give you a passport unless it reflects that you've been, or they're saying they're going to come up with it, unless it states that you've been vaccinated, for example, for coronavirus. So you can't travel. You're restricted in your personal life if you don't have some kind of uh, certification from the government under which your nation is led. Companies are already, you can, you can Google it, you can see companies, even in America, are already chipping their employees with microchips under the skin, which is supposed to make uh, human resources, I guess, a much easier and simple thing to take care of, especially if your company has hundreds and hundreds of employees. So there is a recognition already in the world of the, quote, value, close quote, of a mark in the hand. It's already there. It's not something we're waiting on. It's already available. Suppose another pandemic comes worse than a coronavirus and it is so bad and scares the world so badly that they just declare you're going to have to have this mark in your hand or you can't travel. And we're not going to let you get out and go to the grocery store because you're a threat to other people if you haven't been vaccinated and we can't keep up with you. Our society in the world is already drifting in that direction. Not to be able to buy or sell or even travel without the certification. Now we could go on with this. But that's the second thing that's in place in this system of Antichrist. All of these things... There are many, there, there, there are many other, th well, for example, in the Revelation 17, the great whore, the great, the great prostitute is riding on the back of the beast, the Antichrist, and 
The world government will control world religion. Already we've seen in the past year or two how especially the Pope, but others as well have, have, have signed on to a world religion. We go to heaven one way, you can go to heaven another way, and we we'll all need to get together and be at peace with one another. So there is a, a world religion that is a state religion, I suppose you could say, under the control of the Antichrist until he's through with it. It's no longer useful. And moving from 17 into 18, the Antichrist, his false prophet, they, they, they destroy that great prostitute. And religion is seen as being needed no more. He won't need religion then to control the minds of people He'll just do it without the need. He will, have, he will have brought the world that will still exist in that day under his complete control without the need for any kind of religion. We think of the seventh of the seven churches, and in my view, it's the seventh age of the age of the church. And Laodicea, Laodicea, the rights of the people, that's what the or the power of the people, the rights of the people. Rights, rights, rights. Now, when, when humanism and secularism define what are the rights of individuals, they always have to forsake the Bible. The, the Bible won't stand for it. Now, the Bible, God himself establishes these rights. They're written in the scripture. And our greatest and highest freedom is in Christ. But of course, the world has to oppose that if the world is to control people. So, so the, 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 in, a, in a sense, the great whore already exists. And so many within Christendom, so many leaders are already forsaking the true church, the true and living God, and the only path to salvation. So many other things. But everything is there for the implementation of the system. It's already there. We don't have to dream about it, think about it, ponder over it, ruminate or cogitate about it. It's there. So, next thing, Israel among the nations. In the United Nations, except for the United States, and my guess is it won't be long until we join the world in the rejection of Israel. We are told in the Bible that finally Israel will stand alone, hated by the nations of the world. But for the lone voice of the United States in the United Nations, the rest of the world is turned against Israel. They don't have the right to self-defense when somebody starts lobbing rockets into their land, killing their children and their women and their families. Of course, Israel still defends herself. 
But the world doesn't condemn those who shot the rockets, killing innocent people. The world condemns Israel for firing back. Now, you know, this is true. You can read it in the paper. You can Google it. It's, of course, everything in Google is true, right? <laughs> Israel is hated among the nations, and we may not be far as a nation ourselves from joining the rest of the world. But the Bible says it's going to happen. Secondly, Israel surrounded by nations. Ezekiel 38 and 39 are very clear. Remember, we had, a, we had a retreat on this last time, didn't we? Israel and Ezekiel is very careful, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, to call this time the ultimate end of the age, the absolute end of days. And what happens? Well, at, those, at that time... What is, what is described in Ezekiel 38 and 39 is a confederation of nations led by, to use their modern, to use the modern identification of nations, led by Russia and in a secondary sense by Turkey and by Iran and then smaller nations that surround, among them Libya, that, that's, that surround the nation of Israel and they will ascend like clouds and descend upon Israel and the Almighty intervenes and that confederation of nations will, will be com completely obliterated by an act of God. The King James Version says that five out of every six of the invading soldiers will die on the battlefield. The loss of military equipment so massive that the nation of Israel will take the ruins of the military equipment and use it to provide energy and power for their nation for seven years. Now, when you read it in its greater context, you come to understand that this, that this failed invasion signals the beginning of the tribulation. Did you know for the first time in my lifetime, is, uh, Russia, Iran, and Turkey are all together in a loose alliance assembled in Syria. They already have their plans. There are a lot of reasons why Israel stands in their way, but the reason that the Bible gives for the invasion is economic reasons. Israel is the fourth largest, as I understand it, the fourth largest economy in the world. They're growing their economy in, in, by leaps and bounds and uh, they're inventing things and uh, this huge natural, the pocket of natural gas, I think it's the largest in the world, uh, that they're beginning to extract and export brings great wealth to their nation. So the question from on high is to those invading nations, have you come to take a spoil? So it's an economic reason, really, it comes at a time when apparently the United States of America either doesn't have the power or doesn't have the political will or interest in standing against those who would invade the nation of Israel. So Israel among the nations, Israel is hated. Israel surrounded by nations, Israel will be attacked, which will signal the beginning of the tribulation. Now why do I say Israel? Deuteronomy 32 and verse 8 says, when the Most High 
gave the inheritance, gave the nations their inheritance. When he separated the sons of Adam, then he, he set their boundaries. This is Deuteronomy 32, verse 8. He set the boundaries of every other nation according to how he accounts for Israel. That's what it says. So in the early day, now this is when Israel came out of, of bondage and Israel went in as a big family, but they came out 400 years later as a nation. So as a nation, the way God deals with Israel as a nation tells the rest of the world where we are in the passage of time. People don't pay attention to it. So the rest of the Old Testament gives us an idea of what to expect, an idea of where God puts them, the place he promised to Abraham, and how they would develop. And then their failure sends them into the world to be despised in the world of, among nations until God says at the latter days he'll bring them back. Well, he's begun bringing them back. There is already again a nation called Israel in the world. It is comprised of Jews and other remnants of other tribes that the Jews have been able to discover. So here we are. And now... Israel with its great economy and uh, its great natural resources is a, is a prime target for somebody who's beginning to lose their economy themselves and their people are getting restless and beginning to starve. So that is a sign of the beginning of the tribulation. And so the Bible teaches us that as God is dealing with Israel, this is how he's going to set every other nation. Now the nations, you, you just look at, a, at the maps of the world, oh, I don't know, since the Middle Ages maybe, and you'll see how the nations have changed. This, these nations became, this nation became these nations. And this became that. And the names of them, see, that doesn't matter. What matters is that they are secondary in the purpose of God and God deals with those nations, whoever they might be at the time, according to the way he intends to be dealing with Israel. Nobody in the world is going to accept that. You're going to have reasons for the breakup of the Ottoman Empire because of World War I. You're going to the breakup of, of uh, Germania and, and uh, the the distribution of Eastern Bloc and, and Western nations at the close of World War II, and then the collapse of the Soviet Union into various nations, and some of those nations even changed their names or became two nations or whatever. And it happens in Africa on a regular basis. All of those things are happening because God is working them according to how he's going to deal with Israel. Israel is what we watch to check the pulse of God. And if, if, if God had a pulse, it would be rapid and his heart would be pounding when those nations invade Israel because God himself in his word has told us, revealed to us that 
This is the beginning of the tribulation, the last seven years of earth's history until the kingdom is established. We're seeing these things. These nations, for the first time since I've been preaching and studying, these nations are coming together in confederation and alliance, and they're just across the border from Israel today. If there's a vote today about something Israel did, the world will vote against Israel. We've been told these things would happen, and here they are. Here they are. Next, the unmistakable rise of deception and delusion. Wrong is right, right is wrong. Leaders, CEOs, the highest elitists in the world will look you in the eye, tell you a lie, knowing that you know they're lying and they're still going to lie. Like, like we're a bunch of idiots or like we can do anything about it, right? People are deceived on a daily basis, on a regular basis. All you have to do is open up social media or listen to TV news. And even those that at one time you thought were trustworthy will finally collapse into the last era of deception and delusion. It's a spiritual warfare, but these people who have all of the information or who give all the information, disallowing others to give other information, they come together in some kind of alliance themselves and they do a pretty good job at controlling the masses of the world, the thought processes of the world leading them away from absolute truth into the great lie. You know what Paul said to the Thessalonians? He said, he who believes a lie. He actually, it's a definite article. He who believes the lie shall be damned. There is, a, there is the lie that deceives the world. It's anti-Christ, it's anti-God, it's anti-Christian, anti-church, anti-Bible. And together they work against it. You can say all kinds of things on social media, but if you get real serious and you have a lot of followers on social media, they will, they'll cancel you, cancel you, the cancel culture. Pat and I listened to an Israeli preacher and he starts every sermon on YouTube with this. Before long, this message will be taken down. And he's right. He, it's, uh, when he first puts it out, it's, it's available, but then it's gone. It's taken away. We already live in this age that the Bible warned us about, the age of deception and delusion. Next, the elevation of evil seducers. A seducer is someone who tells you a lie, making a false promise, seeking to persuade you into their way of thinking. We're told in the Bible that the seducers in the world 
will will become greater and greater. King James wax greater. They'll, they'll they will become greater and greater. If you're like me, you have finally concluded that the only thing you can really believe is the Bible. Can't believe anything anybody says. You, you search out, for example, YouTube, trying to find somebody to tell you something regarding a set of circumstances that you haven't heard before and use your own mind to see if that makes any sense. And the people that might do that are under threat all the time. It's very difficult to know who to believe, what to believe. This is the age we live in because of the elevation of evil seducers. Even those people who run things like Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff, I don't know, whoever. Those, those people make up their minds what they decide is right for you to hear. Can you imagine that? Those people are evil seducers. I'll tell you why. I don't have to be a nuclear physicist to see when some big tech guy takes away everything that I believe and disallows it from being on social media. I see that as an evil thing. Evil. So all I have to do is just let the Bible be my standard. The global presence of perilous times. In the last days, perilous times will come. Times of uh, anxiety and distress. Christ described them in his Olivet Discourse. Uh, distress of nations with perplexity. To be perplexed is to be in a quandary. No decision is the right decision. For example, today in our country, we're horribly divided by culture. And I don't see how, I don't see how you ever get cultures to deculture themselves and come together with a new culture, especially if you're a Christian. So we have these at least two cultures that cannot get along. That brings, that brings distress. The, the Greek word also means anxious or to be filled with anxiety. To be, to be anxious or to be filled with anxiety and to be in a quandary. So today, let me tell you, the president, the one we have now, or the one whoever he'll be on January the 20th, Either one of them can make decisions and it's not going to be anything that's going to be easily received in the nation. Because given, given the cultures that exist and the basis or the foundation of those cultures are poles apart, No decision will be the right decision. There'll be, this is, you see, we're there. The global presence of perilous times. Those perilous times can also include a pandemic. 
We're, we're, in, we're in great distress because of the pandemic. And listen, no decision is the correct decision. And it's, in my view, I, you, you can, this is my horse and I'm going to ride on it. I think that I ought to be able to make my decision about how I choose to approach a pandemic. Whether or not I would receive a vaccination. And if people are threatened and feel threatened and, cert and certainly people should feel threatened because we have discovered that it's a real thing and that people in certain physical conditions can be in a lot worse shape if they get it than others. And people in, in, in my view, people should be able to have their own decision about how they would approach it. Because these days, in the days of deception, delusion, evil seducers, and perilous times, no decision is the right decision. That's how complicated the world is. We have a whole lot fewer people here than we usually have. I don't know if I'll be able to keep saying that or not. This may be the best. We, I don't know. But having said that, we could go around and discuss with each other what's the best thing to do. And we probably would come up with 35 or 40 different ideas and 35 or 40 different directions of how we're going to approach a pandemic, for example. It's not an easy thing. It is not an easy decision. And it is because of the age in which we live. We're there. We're not that far removed from the time that people respected the president and his decision, regardless of where, whether he was, we, were, we were part of his political uh, affiliation. But that's all gone. It's gone. Because of the world in which we live, the spiritual presence of Noah and Lot, or should I say the times of Noah and Lot. When the door to the ark was shut, God shut the door. Noah didn't shut the door. The Bible is clear. God closed the door. So here was the conclusion, the infallible conclusion, the correct, of course, conclusion of God Almighty. Nobody else will be saved. The times of the Gentiles will be fulfilled. Now what that says is, as we approach the end of the times of the Gentiles, reaching the Gentiles with the gospel will become more and more difficult. Because that time will come to an end. We may be very close to it, even now. It's the kind of day Noah lived in, and God sighed in grief and said, the imagination of man, every imagination of man is only to do evil continually. Now think about a world like that.
as Christians who have a biblical worldview. And in our hearts, we grieve over the depth of sin, something we could have never imagined earlier in life. And just when you think and you read something, you think, man, we can't get any lower than that. You'll read the paper the next day and we got lower than that. Because we are in an age now where every imagination, every thought continuously that prevails in the world is to do evil. Evil. The spiritual presence of the days of Lot. Sodom vexed his righteous soul, the Bible says. It's very clear from the language that Sodom and Gomorrah were overwhelmed in their populations with sexual perversion. Totally opposite of the way God created us and meant for us to be. Strange sexual acts and behavior, Sodom and Gomorrah, until finally God said, I'm going to destroy the whole place and only your family will make it. And the angels had to convince them and almost drag them out of the place and then it was destroyed. I have noted that in what possibly is the incoming and new administration, I have no way of knowing. Certain litmus tests of people who will serve in high places in what may be a new administration will be their agreement in transgenderism, LB, FBI, whatever it is, LB, you know what I'm saying. There's five of them. And they have to bow to that before they're allowed to serve in certain positions. From what I read, Supreme Court justices severely scrutinized for Christian faith, such that the implication from high ranking senators in the recent past was this if you are a devoted Christian, you are disqualified from serving in a public office in the United States of America. The spiritual presence of the days of Noah and Lot. Finally, right now, a world that is ripe for the wrath of God. When it starts happening in the tribulation, it wasn't that long ago we studied the revelation. 
especially when those bowls of wrath and the end of God's judgment and wrath poured out upon the earth dwellers, the angels stand up in heaven and they say, Oh Lord, this is the right thing to do. Destroy them in such a horrible destruction. This is the right and just thing to do. Wow. A world ripe for the wrath of God. So happy new year. You better think about these things. Christ will come. And I hope to be as those virgins who were prepared for his coming. Look for it every day. See the evil in the world and everything that you read and hear. See it. It grows worse and worse. And it waxes more evil and evil. All of these things are already in place. Already in the world. Perhaps the only thing left is the purging of the church by Almighty God. Until the time for our escape and our release from enslavement. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And He came into this world to save sinners. The Bible is clear. If you will admit that you're a sinner, believe in Jesus and call upon Him for your salvation, you'll be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you came here with the need for Christ, my appeal to you is please don't leave that way. If you came here as a believer, not having yet followed the Lord in His command to be baptized. Don't leave here without making those arrangements. If you're here today and you're in need of a local church, people of like faith and doctrine who love one another and serve one another and with each other serve Christ, don't leave that way. We have deacons ready to speak to you about any of those needs just across the hall in the, door, in the doors of the rooms there as you leave today, just as you go out from the sanctuary, you'll see them standing in those doors. All right, so let's stand and we'll be dismissed in prayer. Okay, let's stand up. Father God in heaven, oh Lord, help us to understand the lateness of the hour. Help us in our longing for the return of Christ to warn others, to tell others, to preach and teach the gospel, to reach out in the best way we can. And now bless us, Lord, in these days. Use us for your glory, protect us, keep us from harm, and sustain us until you're through with us. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.